if you can't preach after that, then you ought to stop preaching. Thanks, brother. Those were some, some great thoughts to glorify our God with and to encourage one another with, especially in light of the lessons that we shared in yesterday. Tonight, we're going to spend all of our time in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I would encourage you to turn there in your Bible. I love sermon titles. The title of this sermon is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. And the reason that the title of this sermon is 1 Corinthians 15, 33 is because that's what I want you to take with you tonight. Dr. Watson once told Sherlock, not everything has to be clever. And so this sermon title is not clever. But this lesson is very important for all of us as we consider the call to turn away from evil and turn to the God who is good. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33 in, in your Bible may read a number of different ways. And so I would encourage you to look at how the translation that, that you use chooses to translate the words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. But for our consideration tonight, we are going to focus on what I believe is the very best translation of these Greek words, and that is the New American Standard Bible's translation of them, the updated version. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And so we are going to consider 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 tonight in, in three parts. First of all, we're going to look at the definitions of these words. Second of all, we're going to consider the context of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. And then finally, we are going to present a, a point, a single point, that we are going to encourage one another to meditate on. And so as we begin considering 1 Corinthians 15, 33 tonight, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. We begin by considering the definitions of these terms. The word not, do not, it, it denies the thought of the thing. Do not be deceived. You do not have to be deceived by the deceiver. You can overcome his deceptions. Deception has to do with, with roaming with wandering from safety or truth or, or virtue. And so we can, we can wander away from the true and living God or we can be led away from Him. We can be led away from the one who said, I am the truth. We can be led away from the spirit of truth. We can be led away from the word of God that is truth. And as we are led away from Him and His truth, then we are led into error. And so we have been called not to be deceived about something in particular in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33. Be not deceived, bad or evil, depending upon your translation. And when you look at that word, what it literally has to do with is something that's worthless, something that's depraved or something that causes injury. It's used as a mode of thinking it's used as a mode of feeling, and it's used as a mode of, of acting. And it can be applied to things that are base or wrong or wicked. And it is used by the Holy Spirit 
in the New Testament to refer to persons. Do not be deceived. Evil or bad company corrupts good morals. And so as we look at at the word evil or, or bad, Vine would say to us about this word, that it indicates the, the lack in a person or thing of those qualities which should be possessed. And at the end of the day, beloved, that is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, that you would, Romans eight twenty nine conform to the image of Jesus. There are qualities, there are characteristics, there are attributes of Jesus that God would have be your qualities, your characteristics, your attributes. And one of the great opportunities that we have in Christ is to be partakers of the divine nature. And so there are those who who lack these things. And as a result of not being of the God who is good, they are by default of their father, the devil. They are by default evil. And so the word evil or bad, morally it has to do with a way of thinking, of feeling, or or acting. It can be applied to our thoughts. It can be applied applied to the company we keep. And that's the point of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. There are desires that we have that are evil or bad. And then in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, it just lumps all kinds of stuff into this category of being worthless. And so Vine would conclude his comments by saying that the word refers to something that is in the sense of what is injurious or, or baneful. In other words, it is the opposite of good. And that is the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we shared in yesterday. And if you weren't here yesterday and you like to take notes and, and you like to remember things because you're like me, you can't remember them unless you write them down, then write this down. If something is good, it is of God. If something is evil, it is of the devil. And that is literally what the word means in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. There are people that fall into the category of bad. They are bad company. They fall into the category of evil company. And so be not deceived about the company that you keep. And the word company, it has to do with companionship. It has to do with contact. It has to do with communion. Vine would say it has to do with an association of people, those who are of the same company. Be not deceived. Evil or bad company corrupts. There are people that fall into the category of being evil or bad. And if you find yourself in a company of those people then the spirit of truth would have you to understand, would have me to understand, would have us to understand that that company that you're choosing to associate with yourself, that company that you're choosing to keep, it's going to corrupt you. And so the word has to do with shriveling up or withering away. It has to do with the process of something spoiling. I mean, we're from the south, right? I mean, I live in Virginia now, and technically it's still below the Mason-Dixon line. But I'm from Alabama. We, we, are, we are from the south. We understand the, the concept of the definition of something spoiling. We have witnessed firsthand the process of food spoiling. The word has to do with, with ruin 
And figuratively, it refers to the moral process of of a person being ruined because of the influences and because of the depravity of the company that they are choosing to keep. And so the definition of this word corrupt, it it signifies to destroy by means of corrupting and so bringing into a worse state. I don't bring home spoiled fruit, but if I don't eat the fruit that I bring home from the grocery store fast enough, I can witness in real time the corrupting process that's being described in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33, but that is being applied to the company that I choose to keep. And so Vine would say, with this significance, it is used of the effect of evil company upon the manners of believers, and so of the effect of association with those who deny the truth and hold false doctrine. And those who have studied such things tell us that it's quite possible that the Apostle Paul is being carried along by the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21, that the Apostle Paul is being carried along by the Holy Spirit to quote a pagan Greek philosopher who lived several centuries before Jesus who uttered this expression, bad company corrupts good morals. And so the idea is that the Apostle Paul is quoting the popular culture of their day to say to the church at Corinth, pagans know this. Even pagan philosophers can see that the company you keep, if it is bad, that it has a corrupting influence on those that choose to keep company with it. And so Corinth is a Greek city, and most Greeks did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. In Athens, in Acts, the 17th chapter, and in verse 32, when Paul attempted to talk about the resurrection in this this Greek city, Athens, they laughed at him. They laughed at him. Be not deceived. Evil or bad company, it, it corrupts good. By definition, the word bad, it just means worthless. And so there are a lot of worthless things in life. And so I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but Jesus has called us to be the salt of the the world. And I want to tell you, one of the worthless things that we find in in our lives are unsalted potato chips. Unsalted potato chips are worthless. They're just good for nothing. And there are people that are unsalted, that aren't good, that are worthless, that are good for nothing. They are not of of our God and Father. They are of their father, the devil, who is a murderer and a liar from the beginning. And they don't think the good thoughts of God and they're not conforming to the image of Jesus. And Jesus would say to them in John 8 verse 44, you're not who you think you are. If you knew the true and living God, then you would know me and you would listen to my voice. And oh, by the way, before Abraham was, I am. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good manners. 
or habits or morals or character, depending upon your translation. And so that word has to do with, with moral habits. It, 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 it sometimes refers to, to haunts or abodes. And in other words, if you came to visit us in the Washington, D.C. area, and you're welcome to come and you're welcome to visit us, Amberly and I are overjoyed to be empty nesters at this point, and we have two extra bedrooms, and so you're welcome to come. We're going to let you decide where you go, and we're going to tell you you can go and you can do whatever. But if you say to us, where should we go, we're going to take you to our haunts. We're going to take you to the places that we regularly go, that, that we're in the custom or habit of, of taking people to see. And the first place we're going to take you is Harpers Ferry, West Virginia. And so you're going to be like, no, nah, I don't want to go way out there. And you're going to go with us, and you're going to be like, thanks for bringing this. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Because you get away from all of that D.C. stuff and all those buildings and all that stuff and you see God's creation and you see the Shenandoah River and the Potomac Rivers converge. And the heavens are declaring the glory of God as you're surrounded by His sky and His rivers and His mountains. But I digress. It also refers to customs or manners conduct. And so those are the definitions. If you take notes, and I take notes when other people speak, I know you couldn't write all that down. You're welcome to my slides that have all of this on there. And if you're frustrated with me because you didn't have time to write all of that down, I understand. I I would be frustrated with me too. But I don't think y'all want to be here till, you know, 8.30, 8.45, so we're moving quick through all that, right? So we've completed part one, and now here we go, part two. What's the context of this? I mean, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, it contains a principle, right? But it has a context. And so what is the context? The context is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. I want you to see this in your Bible. I want you to see that You know, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, it's just not a random proverb in the book, in the wisdom literature of God. It's not just, it's not just a a proverb within the within the within the collection of of the wisdom that is from above. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 has a context. And here it is. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, verse 12. How do some among you, well, who are the you of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12? Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sothenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? I am from northwest Alabama. And I have been blessed in my life to have had parents and grandparents that were Christians. And I have been around Christians my entire life. And I want to tell you, I've been around some Christians that believe some wonky stuff. But I have never been associated in my lifetime with a Christian 
that denied the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is precisely what some of the Christians that were members of the church at Corinth in the first century were doing. They were denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ that 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of our faith. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, Romans 1, 3, and 4, it declares Jesus to be the Son of God, and in declaring Him to be the Son of God with power, it declares that everything that Jesus said is true. And if Christ be not raised, if Christ is not risen, then why in the world are we doing church? Why are we doing church of God or church of Christ. And so why were there Corinthian Christians who were saying that there is no resurrection of the dead? They were saying that because they had been corrupted by their culture. And I want to reiterate what we talked about yesterday. One of the differences between the God who is good and the evil one who is referred to as the devil is with God. Just about everything is binary. And the devil comes to us and he, he just wants to lay out this smorgasbord of, of options. And so there's all these different choices that are laid out before us. And the fact of the matter is, every one of them that the devil presents to us, it is designed to lead us away from God. And God says to us, okay, there are two choices. And here they are. And this has been true of Christians in Jerusalem. It's true of Christians in Corinth in the first century. And it's true of the Northfield Boulevard Church and the Annandale Church and every other church that we may be associated with, whether we're members or have friends or families or whatever. It's true of everyone. You have two options. You are either going to conform to the image of Jesus Christ or by default, you are going to be conformed to the culture in which you live. Those are your options. You can just choose not to conform to the image of Jesus and you can just drift right into the corrupting influence of the culture in which you live and conform to it by not going about the business of girding up the loins of your mind. 1 Peter 1 verse 13. Christians influenced by their culture are evil company. That's the context. Christians, not unbelievers, Christians. Christians who influenced by their culture are evil company who are corrupting the good morals of Christians who have been influenced by the Christ. That's the context. And so what we're, what we're talking about tonight is not being in the world, John 17, but not of the world. That's not what we're talking about. And somebody says, well, wait, what about this? Or wait, what about that? We're not talking about that. That's not the point because that's not the context. The context is other Christians see that? I think that is so important for us to understand. I, I had a brother tell me one time, Jason, I don't understand why you don't want to be involved in something that your brethren are doing. Well, just because my brethren are doing it doesn't make it right. And there were some brethren at Corinth who were thinking some things that weren't right. And they were defined as bad company that were corrupting good morals. That's the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. And so here is 
Part three. A single point that I just want to encourage you to meditate on. If Christians who do not believe in the resurrection of the dead are evil company that corrupt good morals, then what of unbelievers? I mean, be not deceived, brethren. If if you've got brothers and sisters in Christ that you're keeping company with who don't believe in the resurrection and and that company is going to corrupt your good morals, then what of unbelievers? What of folks who don't even believe in the true God? What of friends who don't even believe in the real Jesus? What What of people who don't even believe in the person of the Holy Spirit? If I am in danger associating myself with Christians who do not believe in a single point of doctrine, albeit the resurrection is the cornerstone doctrine of our faith, but if I'm in danger associating myself with Christians who do not believe in a point of doctrine, then what will become of me if I associate with folks who do not even believe in the author of doctrines? And I've listed six things here, but... I mean, you could take this slide and delete those six and add six other ones. What will become of me if I associate with folks who do not even believe in the author of doctrines? Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. As we, as we dig deeper into that word corrupt, it's a present tense verb that indicates the continuing effect the company one keeps, has on one, the continuing effect. The effect is that the bad company gradually and progressively destroys the good morals of the follower of the disciple of the risen Christ. The bad company is going to corrupt your thinking. The bad company is going to corrupt your speech. The bad company is going to corrupt your behavior. And the corruption of one's good morals by keeping company with evil according to the Holy Spirit of God is inevitable. And that's one of the ways in which the devil attempts to deceive us. He wants you to think that you're the exception to the rule. And you are not. And neither am I. Just because you're faithful tonight don't mean that you will be faithful tomorrow. Our life is not lived on a playground. It is lived on a battlefield. And the devil is never going to stop being a roaring lion seeking those that he may devour. And you may think that you have overcome him today, but that just means he's going to come at you harder tomorrow. And so you're not the exception to the rule, and neither am I. No one is. The corruption of of one's good morals by keeping company with evil is inevitable. And so this is what it looks like. At first, the position, whatever the position is, it didn't have to be the one that's in the context of 1 Corinthians 15, but whatever the position is, fill in the blank. But for our purposes tonight, we're sticking with this one because it's the context of the verse. At first, the position, there is no resurrection from the dead, it would appear to be innocent enough. So one begins to reason. I mean, none of us... Has ever witnessed a resurrection from the dead? Have you? Me neither. I mean, in my life at this point, I, I, I've had the opportunity 
to, to watch a number of different people at different stages of their life die. And, and I want to tell you, I, I have watched people die, and I knew they died, and I knew when they died, I, but I didn't see their spirit depart from their body. I didn't see their, their, their spirit leave their body. But th- by definition, that's what happened, right? And that's how I knew they were dead, because their spirit was no longer in their body. It departed. And so someone begins to reason concerning, you know, here's a, here's a person that I'm keeping company with, and, and they're saying that there's no resurrection from the dead. And so I begin to think about that, and well, you know, I mean, okay, none of us has ever witnessed a resurrection from the dead. And so soon those who accepted it, those who were saying there is no resurrection from the dead, then they would reason, well, since there is no resurrection from the dead, then why deny myself this fleshly pleasure since there's no resurrection anyway? Maybe, as we continue to rationalize all this, maybe I should just eat and drink and be merry 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32. If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Do not think that false doctrine is innocent. And do not begin to to reason and then Don't accept the false doctrine and then continue to reason and then change your behavior. And as we we move away from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for just a moment, and we turn our attention to 2 Timothy chapter uh, 2, and and three verses there, 16, 17, and 18, as we we read those verses and, and meditate on them and reflect on them, 2 Timothy 2.16 Shun profane and idle babblings for they will increase to more ungodliness. Their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth saying that the resurrection is already past. And here's what they do. They overthrow the faith of some. So in summary, 2 Timothy 2, 16 through 18, false doctrine leads to an increase in more ungodliness. Untrue messages, they spread like cancer. False doctrines cause one to stray concerning the truth. And false doctrine serves and the deceiver deceives through words False doctrine overthrows the faith of some. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals, and so we think we're the exception to the rule, and we find ourselves in company with another, and we begin to say things like, I can fix him. I can fix her. I. 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 (laughs) Can help them. Do you believe Romans 1.16 tonight? 
I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the power of God unto salvation. Not me, not you. And I'll tell you something else, Romans 1.16 doesn't say, it doesn't say that the power of the gospel is in my ability to present it. Everybody that I have ever had a role in their obedience to Jesus, it was just simply me pointing to the verse and having them read it. And then just asking them, what, what do you think that means? And on more than one occasion, I've had somebody say to me after they've read one of the passages that communicate, what must I do to be saved? I've had more than one person say to me in my life, can we go right now? Can we go right now? You are not the exception to the rule. And I want to tell you something else. You're not the Savior. That role has been taken, and his name is Jesus. And you are not the power of God into salvation. The gospel is. And so don't be deceived about your ability to change folks that the Holy Spirit has defined as worthless. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in verse 34, the ESV version would say after, don't be deceived, evil company corrupts good, good morals. The ESV translation of 1 Corinthians 15, 34 is wake up from your drunken stupor. The Greek words there mean to become sober, to come to one's senses. And so that word is used to describe being intoxicated by strong drink, but that's not what's in the context of 1 Corinthians 15. The context of 1 Corinthians 15 is false doctrine. Wake up from your drunken stupor. Wake up from this idea that there is no resurrection and wake up from this idea that evil company doesn't corrupt good habits. What you believe matters because what you believe is going to affect what you do. I want to tell you in my experience, one of the reasons why we think that we're the exception to the rule and we think that we can change him or we can change her or we can change them is because we're lonely. I don't believe that there is a person who has ever lived that hasn't experienced the business of being lonely. Loneliness is hard. We weren't created to be islands unto ourselves. In point of fact, it wasn't good that man should be alone. And so why did God create woman? And so we, we have liberty in Christ, whether we marry or whether we don't marry, but all things being considered, two are better than one. And that is one of the solutions to the business of, of being lonely, of loneliness, to, to join yourself to someone that God joins you to for, for the purpose of being one and sharing in, in life. But beloved, there, there are some people that, that God's not going to join you to if you marry them. And that's what John the Baptist got his head cut off for when he told Herod, it wasn't lawful for you to take your brother Philip's wife. Yeah, he had married her. But God had not joined them together and that's what made it adultery. You see that? What God hath joined together, let not man separate. 
But God hadn't joined Herod and another man's wife together. And that's what made it unlawful. And so what, what I have witnessed is that people make compromises because they're lonely. I understand it. I do. But just because I understand it, that doesn't make it right. Just because we all understand why somebody chooses to do something, that doesn't make it right. And so let's not be deceived about any of that. There are a couple of solutions to, to, to loneliness and And one of them, it's Monday night, and you're here. I believe that the Monday night crowd of a gospel meeting consists of the elect. I believe that. Thank you for being here tonight. This is one of the blessings of being a member of the body of Christ, attached to the head, rooted and grounded in Him. One of the blessings of being a Christian is having brothers and sisters in Christ to keep company with. We know one another tonight because of Jesus. If it were not for Jesus, more than likely none of us would have ever crossed paths. And yet here we are in Him. And that makes us special to one another. And the Spirit would describe it through the Apostle Peter is we have like precious faith. And so we can draw near to God when we get lonely. But there was a young kid one time and his, he was scared because there was a thunderstorm and his mom went into the room and she said, what's wrong? And he said, I'm scared. And she said, well, here's what you need to do. You just need to pray to God about it. And he said, well, I've already done that. But what I need, mom, is someone with some skin on. And that's how we serve one another. When I see you and I see Christ in you, and even though I don't have the same experience as the Apostle John in 1 John 1, 1 through 4, I haven't handled and touched and seen with my own eyes Jesus, but I can see Him in you. And I can feel Him in you. When you touch me in a godly, righteous way for the purpose of building me up, when I'm low, when I'm lonely. And I want to tell you, beloved, you may not be a ten-talent man, you may not be a five-talent man, you may not even be a man. You may be a one-talent male or female. You you may be a one-talent brother or sister in Christ. But you can tell somebody that you love them And you can tell somebody that you're praying for them. And if it's not your style to say it verbally to them, you can write it down on a card and you can hand it to them or you can mail it to them or you can email it to them. And I want to tell you, I got a banker's box full of cards in my office of people who have done just just that for me. And there are times in which I look back on those when I'm low and those things help me. You can do that for your brother or for your sister in Christ.
Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. In 2 Corinthians 6 verse 17, he would say to the Corinthians, I tell you what y'all need to do in some of these relationships that y'all have joined yourselves to, you need to come out from among them. You need to separate yourself from them. And you need to perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. As the Hebrew writer would say in chapter 12, verse 14, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And there are times in which we need to come out from the company that we keep and we need to separate us from the company that we keep. And so I I just want you to meditate upon this. I want you to think about it. I don't know your life. I don't know where you are in your life tonight. But I know for such a time as this, God has given us this glorious opportunity to draw near to Him and to consider His Word for our lives and to share in the gospel of Jesus Christ together. And here we are. And I want to encourage you to think about this. Maybe you need to move. Maybe you just need to get away from the company that that you're keeping. And you need to put some distance between you and those folks. Maybe you, you need to get a new job. Maybe your job consists of bad company that is corrupting you. And you may just need to walk away from that job and get a new one. Maybe tonight you need to break up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend before you find yourself in a situation in which you're in a relationship that you've joined yourself to that God hadn't participated in. Or maybe tonight you just need to repent of your corrupting influence. Maybe you're the bad company of the church at Northfield Boulevard that is the corrupting influence that some of those brethren were in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 who were saying there is no resurrection. And because they were saying that there is no resurrection, they were encouraging other people to believe that there is no resurrection. And so the inevitable fruit of that is let us eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. And if there's no resurrection, then nothing mattered before I was born and nothing will matter after I was born. And all we have is today and there is no God and there is no devil and all we have is here and right now and it's all about us and it's all up to us. And so let's just eat and let's just drink and let's just be merry. Nothing is new under the sun. The devil takes different different forms in his appearance And he repackages some of the temptations and he rewords some of the stuff, but it's all the same stuff. Truth mattered in the first century, truth matters in the 21st. And truth has always had practical implications for life that are too important to ignore. And at the end of the day, truth is sanctifying. It's not corrupting. What is the point of 1 Corinthians 15? The point of 1 Corinthians 15 is, yes, there is a resurrection. And yes, there is a bodily resurrection. And yes, what you do with your body matters. And when you think about the body that God prepared for Jesus, the body that He became flesh and dwelt in, For those years that he was on the earth, what did he do with his body? He glorified God with it. What did he do with his mind? He thought good thoughts. What did he do with his speech? He spoke truth. His hands never touched another person in a sinful way. His mind never looked upon another person to lust after that person in his heart. 
everything about Jesus, what he did with his body and mind and spirit and all of it was holy. And that's what he and the spirit of truth and his truth, his word, that's what it will lead you and me to. It'll lead us to holy and righteous and good living. And so by way of encouragement, as you meditate upon this point, I want to encourage you to keep company with those who follow Jesus, who discipline themselves to be like Jesus, who said, I am the truth. I want to encourage you to keep company with those who walk in the Spirit, who are led by the Spirit, who keep in step with the Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And I want to encourage you to keep company with those who are being sanctified by the Father's Word. Because the Word of God, as Jesus said, is truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in verses 57 and verse 58, we have the conclusion of the whole matter of the context of 1 Corinthians 15, 33. We have the conclusion of the whole matter of the context of the chapter, which is about the resurrection. But, but I like this slide because on the, on the left side of the slide, it's what Jesus said in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, which is the conclusion of God's eternal purpose. And what Jesus says to the church, seven churches of Asia in the book of Revelation is, let the, let the churches consider what the Spirit says to them. So what did Jesus tell the, the apostles in John 13 through 16? He said, I'm going away, but I'm going to send the Spirit of truth, and He's going to guide you into all truth. And so it's Jesus speaking. It's Jesus standing in the midst of the seven churches, and it's Jesus speaking, but what is he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit's will for the churches of God, like the church of God at Corinth, the churches of Christ, Romans 16, 16. And so here is where every one of us is in our lives tonight. I I don't care if you're a young person or an old person or a middle-aged person or whatever kind of person you want to define yourself as tonight. We are all right here. And the right here where we all are is this is God's will for you. That you would learn better, that you would believe better, that you would hope better, and that you would live better. And so like Daniel in Daniel 1 verse 8, purpose in your heart tonight that you're going to learn better and you're going to believe better and you're going to hope better and you're going to live better and then keep in step with the Spirit conforming to the image of Jesus Christ and let this be the conclusion of your life. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We do not fight for victory, we fight from victory. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing because there is a resurrection because He arose. And His resurrection serves as the first fruits. There are other resurrections to come and we can share in His to the glory of God, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It is not worthless It is not empty, it is not futile, it is good because He is good. If you're subject to the gospel of Jesus Christ tonight, if we can help you to obey His gospel, He will forgive you of your corruption. He'll forgive you of your sin. He'll forgive you of the sin that you've committed against others. And the hope that we have in Him is that He will remember it against us no more. His blood will cleanse your heart. And just absolutely clean your slate and and God will remember all of that against you no more. 
That's the hope we have when we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believing in Him and confessing the truth about Him. Repenting of our sins and being baptized in Him for the remission of them. If you are a Christian tonight and you are convicted that you are a part of that corrupting influence that we read about tonight, I want to tell you something. First Corinthians 15 doesn't say y'all need to get rid of those brothers. Y'all need to get rid of those sisters. You know what the great hope of chapter 15 is? That those people that were wrong about the resurrection, that their darkened minds would be enlightened by the truth of God through Jesus and the Spirit about Jesus and about His resurrection, and that because they had... Where'd my slide go? Because they had learned better, that they would believe better. And because they believe better, they would hope better. And because they would hope better, they would repent. That they would repent. And so tonight, if you are convicted that you are the corrupting influence of this church, the point of this lesson is not, don't come back here tomorrow night. The point is, Jesus loves you. And He died for you. And He desperately longs for you. To repent and come to Him for forgiveness. Won't you do that while we stand and while we sing?